Hollywood was supposed to be her big break. Instead, she met a horrifically gruesome end. Her killer remains at large. But is the Black Dahlia's case truly unsolvable? If you enjoy these episodes, be sure to follow the series Unsolved Murders. Every Tuesday, we examine a real murder that, to this day, remains a mystery. Listen to Unsolved Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's your host, Carter. I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. Kids who are under the age of 13 might find some parts of our show a little bit scary, so listener discretion is advised. Now, enjoy the show. It's a beautiful day out, isn't it, sweetheart? It's hot, Mama. Oh, no, it's only January. Come July, we'll be all roasting. (laughs) No, keep your hat on, Annie. It's sticky. Oh, you've got juice on it, silly girl. Mama? One moment. I almost got it. Mama! Hmm? There's a lady lying over there. Excuse me? In the grass. What in the world? Oh, no, Annie, that's that's just a doll. The kind they have in stores to sell those dresses you love. Don't look like a doll. Doesn't. We don't speak like sailors, Annie. I'm going to leave you here for just one moment. Ah! Oh! Mama, what's wrong? Police. We have to get the police. What's wrong with the lady? Help! Someone help! Police! Oh, police! Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. Today, we'll be investigating one of California's most infamous starlets, the Black Dahlia. A tale as old as the film business itself. A young girl moves west to chase the glitz and glamour of movie stardom, but there was no Hollywood ending for Elizabeth Short. The 22-year-old, too big for her hometown of Boston, who bounced from waitress gig to any odd job she could find, was found in a lot in a suburban Los Angeles neighborhood. She had been severed in half. Her mouth had been carved in a permanent grin for the police officers who came to collect her body. Elizabeth became a sensation among the reporters who flocked to the scene, and her death sparked an obsession in a town known for lurid storytelling. This is episode 11 of Unsolved Murder's True Crime Stories and episode one of The Black Dahlia. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders or to hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also listen on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode currently comes out every Tuesday. And now, back to the Black Dahlia. The grisly scene Betty Bursinger and her daughter stumbled upon on January 15, 1947, wasn't just a crime scene that looked like a mob hit or a crime of passion. The scene had been delicately and purposely set by the murderer. The body was completely severed in half and separated at the waist. It also was completely drained of blood. Elizabeth's body had been recently washed and her hair freshly shampooed. Her nipples were cut off and her mouth was sliced from ear to ear. When the autopsy was eventually performed, even more horrors were discovered. On her left leg, she had a tattoo of a rose. This had been cut off and shoved inside her genitals. Her reproductive organs were also missing. Who was this poor woman? What led to these horrific events? 
Journey back with us, won't you, to a World War II boomtown, Los Angeles, 1947, the Chancellor Apartments. You're going to burn yourself. Oh, nonsense. I let it cool some. You should see a real dentist. Why? This works just as well. Wax is going to rot your teeth faster than just leaving it alone. Ah, see, Cheryl? Good as new, isn't it? You're going to lose them if you keep that up. You're always so negative, my darling. You should work on that. And will you work on getting me your share of the rent? Oh, I simply can't hear you. (laughs) I'm off to work. Elizabeth Short could best be described as a flight risk. Due to a childhood respiratory illness, she spent every winter in Florida during her teen years before her family received a telegram from Vallejo, California in 1943. Her father, Cleo, disappeared in 1930 and was presumed dead. It was the Great Depression. Things became very hard very quickly, and people disappeared all the time. His car was found, abandoned on a bridge, and no one bothered to drag the river for a body. Phoebe Short raised her children as a single mother for years, scraping by as best she could. She and her five daughters moved into a tiny apartment in Medford, where Elizabeth became known for her striking looks and desire for stardom. And then one day, more than a decade after his supposed suicide, Cleo suddenly wrote, My darling Phoebe, my beautiful children, I know Woods can never make up for the damage that I caused by leaving, but please know I was young and foolish then. I won't be making the same mistakes twice. Please let me come back home and make it up to you. Phoebe refused to accept his offer and wouldn't let him return to the house. Elizabeth, on the other hand, was the only one in the family to accept his apology. They stayed in contact through letters, and at 19, she set out across the country to live with him in Northern California. (coughs) Ah, Betty, I I thought you said you was getting better. It is. I'll be just fine in a moment. All right, come on. Deep breaths. Just like that. That's a girl. Good job, sweetheart. It's all this damn fog. Deep in the thick of World War II, father and daughter packed up yet again and moved down to sunny Los Angeles. After being separated for 13 years, it was a rough transition. Damn it, Beth, what the hell is this? What, Dad? This place looked like a tornado when I left this morning. I come back from work, and it looks like two tornadoes hit it. What's the matter with you? Sorry, I wasn't home much today. Oh, busy at work? No, but... No. Your answer to, were you at work being no, is getting pretty damn old. I was just at the movies. Oh, sure. With that, uh, Steve? What? Steve, that new boyfriend of yours. Well, he got my ticket, which was nice, and, uh... <sighs> That kind of guy isn't nice for no reason, Beth. And for that matter, no one you've been dating has been. Oh, because you were such a nice man, Pop? You will not speak to me that way. Not under this roof. Forget it. I'll find another one, then. Elizabeth, what are you, are you insane? Where are you going? Out! Go back to pretending I don't exist, will you? The relationship quickly became strained and Elizabeth left home to fend for herself, picking up whatever odd job she could along the way. Betty, you're late. Oh, keep your shirt on. I'm here, ain't I? Where the hell have you been? If you must know, I was outside the Chinese theater. Oh, yeah? I suppose you drew quite a crowd. It was a Fox picture, and I met Mr. John Ford himself, and he told me I simply must come to the studio and meet everyone. He thinks I could do quite well on screen. All right, get to work. 
Where's your apron? He did. He said they were looking for someone extraordinary, and there's no one more extraordinary than me. I'm not paying you to be extraordinary. I'm paying you to take that nice couple's order, so do that, would you? You are going to look like a fool when you see me up there. I'll get to work, Elizabeth, or you can pack up. Forget it. Elizabeth! Betty, hey! Elizabeth bounced to and from California to Florida, Boston to Los Angeles. Eventually, the lure of Hollywood overcame her wanderlust, and she settled back down in Southern California in June 1946. Next! And you are? Elizabeth Short, auditioning for the part of... Sweetie, that's not how it works. Oh, I'm sorry, I... We'll decide which part, if any. This is a screen test. This isn't your high school theater. I, I, I didn't mean to be presumptuous. And yet you were nonetheless. It's just, I, I had read that when Veronica Lake auditioned for I Wanted Wings, she... Well, my stars and garters! Fellas, did you know we had Ronnie Lake in the room? I only meant... Girlie, I don't care what Veronica Lake did. I don't care what Kate Hepburn did. I don't care what any of those broads did. Because they're not here, are they? You are. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Good. Now, let's see what you got. You're reading, uh, Ophelia. <clears throat> oh, my lord, my lord, I have been so affrightened. My lord, as I was sewing in my closet... Thank you, doll, that's just fine. Oh, oh, but I can, I can do it over. We have it. Thank you. The auditions led to nothing but heartbreak, and occasionally more auditions. She tried what she could to get any job at all at the studios. Welcome to Warner Brothers. How may I help you? Oh, I'm here to meet with William Wyler. Do you have an appointment? I don't, but silly me. I forgot my purse on set. I'm not usually such a knucklehead. But they were performing this stunt, and I guess I just got carried away helping out with it. Well, I can't allow you into his office. Oh, shoot. I really am in such a terrible predicament. I can give you a guest pass to go find your purse on set. Oh, you are really saving my neck, sugar. Thank you so much. Cut. All right, uh, can we get greens to set? Anyone got eyes on greens? I'll go get them. Oh, uh, thanks. Uh, well, what's your name again? Elizabeth, or just Beth. Uh, Elizabeth. I'll be professional about it. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, which greens did you want again? That fern and the two palms. Okay, and just to confirm, greens are... Uh, in the truck, back there. Right. Be back in a jiffy. Though she managed to hang around the studios and pick up odd jobs here and there, she was a drifter, never having steady footing for long. And then the impossible happened. The girl who never wanted to grow roots fell in love. <laughs> Top me off, handsome, won't you? Hey, Betty, are you working tonight? No, I finally have a night free. Miraculous, I know. Fabulous. We managed to get a reservation at Lowry's. You and your husband should come along. Oh, is this just for couples? I... Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm rude. Sorry I gave off that impression. Singles, welcome. Oh, but I'm not single. Oh, sorry. I I just thought... He's in the Army. Well, I'll be. Well, the, the, the Air Force. Means he's got perfect vision. I could have told you that, since he's only got eyes for me. Aww. <laughs> well, he sounds adorable. What's his name? Lieutenant Gordon. Matthew. But none of her friends ever met this fiancé. And in the summer of 1945, just one week before Japan's surrender, she said his plane was shot down over Burma. Was he real? No one knows. This was a common theme with Elizabeth. She hopped from hotel to hotel and from friend's house to friend's house, but never managed to hold down a job for long. She was a social butterfly and a barfly, the life of the party, until the rent came due. 
What was it this time? He was the most awful man I've ever met in my life. I thought that was the last one. You simply wouldn't believe how he spoke to me in front of all those people. It was shameful, Cheryl. No gentleman should ever treat a lady like that. <laughs> you have to be a lady first. Very funny. It's almost Christmas. Beth, I can't... I can't keep covering for you anymore. I'll get you the rent. You know that. No, I don't. I've paid for the last three months alone. Cheryl, stop worrying. I'll get you the money on my honor. Now, I'm going to stop by RKO. That producer has really taken a liking to me. I'd like you to leave. I'm sorry? You heard me. I fell for it the first 50 times, but I'm not going to get the wool pulled over my eyes again. Cheryl, I don't know why, but you're being a real drip. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bore. I'm a real bore because I'm tired of all your tall tales. Tales aren't tall if they're true. And jealousy is a real ugly look on you. <laughs> get out! Cheryl, my darling, you don't really mean that. I know exactly what I mean. I want you to pack your things and then I want you to leave. And where exactly am I supposed to go? Anywhere. I don't care. You always manage to land on your feet somehow. Cheryl, please. <sighs> I'm sure your mother would love to have you home. I'm sure she misses you this time of year. Please, just... I don't have the money right now, but I promise you I will. Oh, the crocodile tears. Those don't work anymore. You're a fair actress, Betty, but you're no Joan Fontaine. Oh, stuff it, you hateful bitch. You want me gone? I'll go. Don't let the door hit you. Where did Elizabeth go? We will find out right after this. And now, back to Unsolved Murders. Elizabeth was a prowler. She haunted Hollywood and Vine and all the popular Hollywood dinner and nightlife scenes. Though she couldn't afford it herself, she was an undeniable beauty in her usual black dress and was never wanting for attention. These nights out often led her to meet questionable flirts and shady suitors with whom she was more than happy to spend time. Now what's a gorgeous gal like you doing standing outside Café La Maze instead of shaking your tail inside? Oh, I was just out here waiting for a friend, but it's been 15 minutes and... No luck? Uh, no luck. I guess I'm in the market for a friend at the moment. Oh yeah? Yeah. Do you know anyone who could fit the bill? You know what? I think I do. So Elizabeth subsisted as long as she could on the kindness of strangers, eating and partying like the upper class, while technically being homeless. When her debts caught up with her in Hollywood, she skipped town down south and moved to San Diego. With nowhere to go and all the time in the world to kill, Elizabeth stopped into a Pacific Beach movie theater. Hey, anyone else in here? We're going to be shutting down the theater for 10 minutes for cleaning. Ah! Oh my god! Wh what Oh, sorry. I must have dozed off. We have to clean for the next screening. If you want to get another ticket, you can stay in. Actually, honestly, at this hour, feel free to stay without a ticket. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, let me just, uh, I'm so sorry. Do you always bring your blanket into the theater? I... Well, it, it gets so awfully drafty, doesn't it? Oh. Oh, honey. Dorothy French was a generous girl, the kind to bring home strays from the cold. How's about you pack up and come home with me? My shift ends at 3. Really? 
You'd do that for me? Of course, who wouldn't? You'd be surprised. I'm more than happy to give you a warm place to sleep. I could even make you a sandwich if you're hungry. Well, I simply can't remember the last time I had a very good sandwich. Then that settles it. I'll come collect you when my shift ends. I'm Dorothy. I'm pleased to meet you, Dot. I'm Elizabeth. Pleased to meet you too, Betty. Dorothy allowed her to stay with her and her mother in their small naval housing apartment. Elizabeth plied them with stories each night about her various misfortunes. My husband, he was the sweetest man I've ever met. He used to tear love poems out of books and send me the pages. The library didn't mind? Well, he didn't tell them, silly, did he? He wrote such wonderful letters to me when he was overseas. He could have been a writer. I told him that all the time. Hmm. When did you two marry? Right before he went back over. We were so in love, we couldn't wait. <gasps> what was his name? Gordon. He was an army major. Elizabeth Gordon. There's a ring to it. Oh, oh no, I'm still a short. He died. A terrible plane crash. Oh, you poor dear. I sent him a package and didn't hear back. It wasn't long after that that Hateful came to me. My poor Gordy. He was all alone. <gasps> Surely not. No, he was. He crashed in India and no one was there to hold his hand. Tell him it would be all right. Oh, you poor dear. He knew how much you loved him. I hope. Mm, what about your benefits? Hmm? Well, you married him. You were owed widow's benefits, weren't you? When Papa died, Ma got a check from the government. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Well, um, I sent them to my mother, of course, the poor dear. She's been so sick, and hospital stays are so expensive. Elizabeth had an answer for everything, as well as an even more elaborate story. She was an actress knocking on the door over one good break. I had the most fabulous screen test just before I left. They said they hadn't seen someone so beautiful on camera since Vivian Lee. To the job interviews, she was constantly snagging. They asked me if I could handle money. <laughs> I told them, Misters, I can handle it. I can spend it. I'm better with money than anyone you've ever seen. To the nursing position at the San Diego Naval Hospital, she wrote to her mother about. Mama, you won't believe what happened just before my shift today. One of the swabbies was too hopped up and thought I was his girl. I nearly slapped him. What was meant to be a week-long stay until she got back on her feet turned into Elizabeth squatting on the couch for the month. Elizabeth, you know I like you. Why do I have the sneaking suspicion you're about to follow that up with a big but? But I told you I can't keep putting you up here if you're not going to contribute. My mom was already struggling with the rent, and now I'm not a movie star, Beth. I just can't do it. What if, what if you went back to Los Angeles? It's like you read my mind, Dot, my girl. I was just thinking to myself, Betty, isn't it about time you came back? I bet they've missed you. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I can't even imagine all I've missed out on. Do you think the fellas have been pining after me? The sailors, at least. <laughs> Dottie, you're a hoot, and you're right. I think it's high time I head back home. Elizabeth is headed back to Los Angeles. We will examine Elizabeth's last known movements and events before she disappeared, right after a short break. And now, back to our story. Elizabeth was right about one thing, 
the fellas really did flock to her. One of these men became enamored with Elizabeth almost immediately. Robert Red Manley, a salesman from L.A. Never mind the fact that he had a pregnant wife at home. He spent his nights out on dates with Elizabeth. Well, these carpets are big sellers in San Diego. Oh, do we really need the work talk? You don't find the salesman talk dashing and attractive? I can think of lots of adjectives, but somehow those two don't make the list. Is that so? Mm-hmm. Mm. As I was saying... As I was trying to stop you from saying... I have to take a day trip up to L.A. on the 9th. I know you were talking about that audition. Yes, you'd take me up there? For you, Beth, the world. Oh, So the salesman and the wanderer traveled together up to Los Angeles. The city was like a magnet to Elizabeth. No matter how far she got, she always found herself pulled back there. The two spent the night together in a roadside motel on January 8, 1947. The next day, they arrived at the Biltmore Hotel. She told Red that she was waiting for her sister to meet her there. I'm sure she'll be here soon, darling. If I know that girl, she'll come rushing in just as frazzled as a cat with a broken tail. You never told me you had a sister. Didn't I? Oh, I must have. I'm sure I'd remember. Well, it's wonderful meeting new people, isn't it? That's my favorite thing. Red waited as long as he could, but he had a meeting with his employer at 6.30. He left as Elizabeth was making calls in the lobby. This was the last time he would ever see her alive. Police considered him a suspect and questioned him. He said he wasn't even actually dating Elizabeth. Even the night they spent together in the motel, he described as strictly platonic. You're married, isn't that right, Mr. Manley? Yes, my wife, my poor wife. What were you doing with Elizabeth then? It was, if I'm going to be honest. I'd highly recommend that. My wife and I had some misunderstandings and I wanted to, to sort of make a little test. A test? Yes. A test of what? You know, to to see if I was still in love with my wife. Hmm. And uh, did it work? As it turns out, it did. Robert decided he was still in love with his wife, and Elizabeth no longer fit into that equation. He would drop her off somewhere safe, and that would be the end of it. Though he still loved his wife, he obviously did still care for Elizabeth. He was worried for her. On the drive over, I noticed these... These scratches all over her arms. I asked what they were from, and she told me about this fellow she was seeing in San Diego. You mean besides you? I told you nothing happened between us. You could say it till you're blue in the face. I'm not buying it. She said he was crazy. He was jealous and a drunk, and he attacked her. She said she barely got away. She said that? Yes. You didn't see it? Well, no. No, but So then, it's hearsay. Did you get his name? No. So what? You you want us to drive down to San Diego and start knocking on doors? I want you to believe me. He could have followed us. He scratched her up. The police, however, decided that the scratches were self-inflicted, likely due to itching insect bites. Robert passed both a polygraph and a sodium pentothal test. Sodium pentothal is known as truth serum. It's a barbiturate that slows the speed at which the brain receives messages from the spinal cord. This makes it more difficult to concentrate and perform activities as simple to the sober brain as walking, and also makes it difficult to come up with lies. So Robert was cleared as a suspect after he also helped the police identify her purse and one of her shoes in a trash can several miles from the murder scene. But the horror was far from over for Robert. In the following years, he suffered several nervous breakdowns and claimed to be hearing voices. You can't hear that? Hear what? Shh, shh. Listen. 
I... I don't... There's nothing. No, no, listen, listen, listen. His wife had him committed to Patton State Hospital in 1954. When he dropped off Elizabeth at that hotel, he couldn't have known his so-called test was one with no correct answers. Excuse me, sir. Hi, yes. Uh, you see that girl in the phone booth? Yes, sir. Tell her I had to leave for a meeting, and tell her I'm sorry I couldn't meet her sister. Of course, sir. Thank you. Elizabeth wasn't the type to sit and stay at home, waiting for a man to call. Or at least, that's what her friends believed. If they didn't call on her, she would find somebody who would. Have a nice night now, folks. Good night. Take care, miss. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Hello, Harold. Gorgeous night, isn't it? Evening, Miss Elizabeth. It is beautiful out, isn't it? As beautiful as me? Well, now that's impossible. <laughs> you certainly know how to charm a lady, sir. That I do. <laughs> Where are you do tonight? A party. I'm going to the most glamorous get-together in Beverly Hills. A producer I met said I simply must meet his friends. Surrounded by directors and artists. Can you imagine? Sounds like a fine night, ma'am. It will be. I'm sure of it. May I hail you a cab? Oh, don't be silly, Harold. It's such a nice night. I thought I would take a bit of a walk. I'll hail one myself. If you insist. Have a safe night, Miss Lisbeth. Of course, darling. It'll be marvelous, won't it? The Biltmore Hotel's bell captain, Harold Studholm, was the last to see her alive. He saw a man wave to her from outside. She left at about 10 p.m., strolling down Olive Street. Elizabeth was found dead and mutilated a week later. Her skin had been scrubbed of blood and her body posed, legs spread and hands behind her back. Her intestines were tucked underneath her. Her thighs and chest had been partially skinned. We know the specifics of the cruelty done to Elizabeth's body, and that's about where our knowledge ends. She left the hotel, and the rest is just conjecture. The week between her pleasant night out and her body's discovery is completely unaccounted for. Though scores of men and women came forward to claim responsibility for the crime, it was clear the murder was no closer to being solved than before. We would like to leave you with one last thought. When Elizabeth left her hotel that night, she walked south on Olive, towards an art gallery. Had she kept walking two more blocks, she would have reached the medical office of Dr. George Hodel. Dr. Hodel, once accused and acquitted of molesting his 14-year-old daughter, had this to say via wiretap about the police's investigation of him after Elizabeth's murder. Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. Oh, did we mention his own son believed he went on to become the Zodiac Killer? Join us next week for the conclusion to our Black Dahlia saga, where we'll dive into the sensationalist world of yellow journalism that made the case infamous. The theories were wild. The suspect list wilder. And oh, you won't believe some of the stories the press ran with to sell papers. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and any other podcast directory. Or through our website at parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. You can tweet us at Parcast Network, all one word. Oh, we thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next Tuesday. 
because now we are weekly for the next installment. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, and written by Samantha Gurash and Kenneth Martin. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Posey, Jerry Courtney Austin, Janice Liebhart, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Polson, and Vanessa Richardson. Oh,